Hello, this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. I'm David Turner. Today's episode is in two parts. Coming up in the second half is Catherine Madden, but first up is me chatting with the founder of spoken word label Nymphs and Fugs, Matt Abbott. We talk about Matt's influences such as music and politics, and we also get into the North-South divide a bit and the media's coverage of poetry still being too London-centric. Links to Matt and Catherine's web presence can be found in the episode description. And if you want to keep up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast, including us transcribing, it's going to be 80% of the archive, then you can follow us at Lunar Poetry Podcast on Facebook, Tumblr, SoundCloud or iTunes, or at Silent Tongue on Twitter. And if you like what we do, then tell your friends, yeah? It helps a lot. Here's Matt. This is 22 miles. It's sunny enough to squint, but there's a fairly decent breeze. So I do take off my jacket, but I leave it on my knees. And the lads are urging, pull up a stool, come sit down and eat. I try to resist, but a penniless host will never admit defeat. Jam baguettes and cigarettes and milk in little cartons. They ask which football team I support and grimace when I say Blythe Spartans. But still the conversation flows on buckets, chairs and stools. My only prior insight being articles in vestibules. After lunch we pass the time with packs of cards dictating pride. The sun retreats, the breeze persists, we quickly scuttle inside. I lose my boots for this handmade house as Ethiopians brag. But the Eritreans take the lead as I find myself sitting on a Bradford City sleeping bag. Claret and amber stripes beside a cockerel. The distance between my front door in Wakefield and Bradford City Stadium is 22 miles. The distance between this front door in Calais and blissful British soil is 22 miles. The lad beside me, we share a birthday, a bed, a childlike enthusiasm for Leicester City's title chances and a deep disdain for Theresa May. Yesterday morning, I'd complained to myself about the guy on the megabus snoring for five whole hours. The lad beside me counts himself lucky, but it took him three months to get here, most of which span him the Sahara Desert in a boot of a car. Out there on the strip, it's a makeshift man-made Glastonbury. Rows of businesses from bookshops to barbers. First aid comes from caravans in boxes of donations. Every refugee you meet appears cheerful and generous. Every freckled British face is a volunteer. Police patrol perimeters with guns that need both hands. Beneath barbed wire fences that every language understands. Barbed wire fences bought by taxpayers in Britain. A message on a bottle that doesn't need to be written. Midway through this game of cards, he taps me on my knee. With eye contact, I flinch through guilt from everything I see. He leans in and asks me to gently justify. The cards stop. Everybody waits for my reply. The house succumbs to silence. He's not asking me as a journalist or a lawyer, just a person. It's like Auschwitz has a waiting room or human beings are being graded and these didn't make the cut. These entrepreneurs, these bold, brave souls, forced to flee from falling bombs and sit and rot or gamble again. I feel sick, and the longer I sit silent, the worse it gets. 22 miles, thousands of lives, zero answers. Thank you very much, man. Thanks for joining us. No hey, worries. How thank are you, you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. How about yourself? All right, I'm all right. I've got, um, I've had this horrible cold for about, only about six weeks, but I've recorded quite a lot in that time, so <laughs> I, for the next three months of podcasts, I'm going to be like, <laughs> grumbling into the microphone, but I'm just all right, it's nice to meet up with people and chat. I think the best thing to do is probably start with a brief introduction. 
Yeah, so my name is Matt Abbott. I've been doing spoken word for 10 years now. I actually started off on the local music scene. So I came home from college one day and I heard John Cooper Clark. My dad would play the John Cooper Clark CD. And instantly it grabbed me because I'd always been obsessed with lyrics and I'd always fantasised about being the front man in the band. But, you know, I had no viable option because I couldn't sing, I couldn't play guitar. And so it, never, it was never really a reality. And then when I heard John Cooper Clark, and I realised he did it in a musical arena, suddenly something lit up in my head. So I started asking my mates if I could introduce them, because all my mates were in bands. And they were like, uh, yeah. So I started getting up and just doing poetry without asking permission. And instantly, I recognised that I were obviously like relatively good at it. Not like blowing me on trumpet, but I knew it was something that I was confident doing. Mm. So I sort of built it up from there. Then ended up, funnily enough, <clears throat> being in a band for a few years. And we were fairly successful. And then that didn't work out, so I've come back to poetry. So now, I do a lot of poetry events and literary events as well as the music and the political stuff, but I'm very much from that sort of like anti-poet outsider place, if you know what I mean, traditionally. So it's fun really straddling the two, because I think poetry, poetry can be enjoyed by anybody really. It can be enjoyed at a music gig, it can be enjoyed at a festival, it can be enjoyed in a library, you know, there's no need to sort of label it really, and I sort of quite enjoy experimenting with that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's been great with the podcast meeting such a varied group of writers. I mean, I've had, I've been lucky enough to just myself interview probably over 70 people now just in a couple of years, you know, and talk about their work and stuff. It's interesting the amount of people that I talk to that have come into it from a lyrical point of view. Yeah. Sometimes you can get sidetracked and talk about poetry as lyrics, but it seems to be missing the point that hearing those people that, like John Cooper Clark and other people along that line, more what they're doing is showing you that poetry isn't as restricted as maybe you believed before, isn't it? Rather yeah. than linking it perhaps to music. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, there's a quote by Adrian Mitchell that says, most people ignore most poetry because most poetry ignores most people. And I think it's just that, I mean, from my experience, the stuff that we read in the anthologies at school, it's not that it was particularly bad. I mean, in hindsight, you know, Seamus Heaney, I, I like him. But at the same time, it didn't grab you by the scruff of the neck and sort of light something up inside of you really at the time as a 16 year old boy it's not going to is it um, and I think it's people like John Cooper Clark that just present it in a completely different way and sort of speak to you on your level I mean obviously everybody's level is different isn't it but for me he spoke to me on my level and yeah it's just using just using words musically isn't it? I suppose I'd adjust that quote and say that po um, most people ignore poetry because most poetry publishers ignore <laughs> well, yeah, that's because true. I think yeah. poetry doesn't you can't ignore anyone, can it? Because there are so many voices involved. It's sort of, it would be like saying that music ignores Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I suppose it's for people, the poetry that people tend to consume or be exposed to, that's the difference, I think. Most people say to me, oh, I don't like poetry, it's not for me. Poetry's not for me. And that's the thing, that's, they won't even consider it because they just see it as this sort of elitist academic art form and it's just like, you know, it's got a preconception that most people find horrific, but I suppose it's the same with like jazz, for example. A lot of people have got an idea of jazz, whereas actually I love a load of jazz musicians. I don't know anything about jazz, but it's, it's silly to dismiss it, it, but I'm having quite a lot of fun challenging preconceptions. And I think the current UK spoken word team seems to be reaching far and wide, or, you know, from people on Instagram, people on YouTube, slam poetry. I mean, I don't really like slam poetry, but it is getting a lot of people involved. Should probably talk about I was going to say the side project, it's not a side project, it's a big part of your life, um, your label that you've got going and yeah. uh, your focus on sort of pushing poetry towards a wider, a wider audience. Why is that important to you? I just, um, there's so many amazing things going on on the UK scene at the moment around the country and 
I'm just really happy to shout about it. Just, I'm so passionate about spoken word and I've seen the way that spoken word has affected people uh, in terms of people who've come to gigs and been really moved, people who've started writing, people who are artists. And I just, I think it's an amazingly powerful thing. And I think, A, it's not like, people don't really talk about <clears throat> their emotions as much as we should. I think British people are quite uptight and reserved and I think poetry is a really vital arena for that. But also with everything that's going on politically and culturally, I think it's a really important time to reflect and challenge and, and communicate. Um, and I've got, a foot, I've got one foot in the London scene, but the fact that I'm very active on the Northern scene maybe brings a little bit more balance. Um, a lot of publishers or blogs or whatever are great, but obviously I think it, in terms of the top end, it's quite London-centric in terms of exposure. And so it's nice just to have somebody that's okay. I'm not saying I'm the only one who does it, but I want to increase the fact that there's so much going on in the North and in Scotland, you know. So I just... It's what I do, like every morning, I don't have to think, oh, I've got to do my tweets today. I'm genuinely really passionate about doing it. And also, I like shouting and talking about promoting stuff, but uh, I'm not very good at promoting myself. So promoting other people through the label makes me feel less bad about promoting myself as yeah. well, if you know what I mean. I think it's important to, to focus on the fact that you are based in the North as well, because there still is a vacuum around the country. Stuff, prizes and publishing commissions I think are too, still too London centric yeah, you know um, the reason I put the Arts Council application in for money for this podcast was so that we could get around the country yeah saying that uh, knowing um, full well that I've waited until someone from Wakefield's come to London before I got to talk to them but they, it's, <laughs> it's just travel chances and stuff it's still too London centric and yeah. I think the more uh, one of these actually maybe we should talk about that a bit the, I think the more focus there is from outside media on spoken word, I think the danger is that it's going to become a very urban thing again, and sort of focus on Manchester and, Lon and London and Birmingham perhaps yeah. a bit too heavily. Yeah, yeah. Some of the best nights I've been to recently have been in Derby, Lincoln, Hull. You know, these are generally places that aren't celebrated even up north. Like, and at Scunthorpe as well. Like, it, it's it's a real, real, real grassroots movement, and it's almost like. <clears throat> the more grassroots it is, the better it is. I know it sounds really weird and it sort of sounds a bit cliched, but the whole beauty of spoken word is that anybody can do it. Like, I mean, obviously, don't, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean anybody's good, but like, it's such an accessible art form. Somebody can come to an open mic, somebody can come to a spoken word night one month, see the poetry, think that's amazing, and by the next month, they've written their own poem over on the open mic. And in places like Derby and Lincoln and Scunthorpe and Wakefield, where I'm from, that's an amazing thing, and it, it, I just. It empowers people and it gives people a voice where, and I know it, it, this might sound like a ridiculously tenuous link, but one of the reasons people voted Brexit is because they just didn't feel like they had a voice, they didn't feel like they were relevant, they felt like they were being ignored, they felt like they were being left behind. Now obviously, being left behind by the government <coughs> is much more serious than being left behind by the poetry uh, media as such, but it's, it's giving people a voice. People, don't, people do spoken word pieces now that are like political rants or socio-political rants, whatever. They don't even see it as poetry. They don't, even, they don't, think, they don't care. They need, they've just got something to say. And it's places like that where it's all the more important for poetry and spoken word to happen. Um, which, as you say, that's where it sort of gets left behind, but I think that's all the more important. I think there still is a degree of snobbery from people who are entrenched in the poetry world in terms of some of the new stuff that is spoken word and that is slam, I think there's a little bit of snobbery where they don't take it seriously or they don't accept it. Like, you know, if it, some people won't even accept it if it rhymes. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? And it sounds ridiculous, but 
I think there's still a bit of a, and maybe that's why people don't like poetry because they do get this sort of like snobby elitist impression from it. I don't know, but nobody thinks like that in Derby. I, I think one of the problems with people staying in a city, especially like as big as London, is although there are more, far more opportunities to get your work read, you tend to get a more defined communal voice, I think. Yeah. Whereas if you start going out of these cities, people don't have that preconceived idea of what the art form should be and perhaps try, well, or not even try, not even consciously make that decision. They just are themselves. Yeah. And you end up with richer forms of uh, spoken word coming out of Yeah, it. no, absolutely right. I've, I've spoken to quite a few poets on the London scene who've said whenever they go up north, they're amazed at the variety. And I've sort of seen it myself to an extent, a lot of the London nights. Obviously, the people who are maybe higher up on the ladder have sort of got their own style, but at that sort of entry-level open mic level, there are a lot that sound very, very yeah, similar. Yeah. Like. It can be hard sometimes, being from London and voicing that opinion, though, because I can remember I wrote... Um, I'm not going to say where it was because I don't want to drag them into it, but I wrote a review of a night. Yeah. Um, out, it's sort of in a more rural setting, and I was really pleasantly surprised by the night because I don't really like going to a lot... I go to a lot of open mic poetry nights and it can be a bit draining I was really pleasantly surprised by it and I tried to voice that and on social media afterwards not connected to the night that's why I don't want to mention them I saw some comments about oh London poet comes to the sticks and is surprised at the quality and that wasn't what I was saying you know yeah. it wasn't like I it, it, I know full well there's so much happening around the country and we don't get to see yeah that's what I'm worried about that it will just become along with the snobbery attached to dismissing spoken words. There's a lot of snobbery still in London about dismissing the rest of the country. Yeah. And that's where I think the link comes into place with politics as well. Yeah. And people feeling like they're not listened to. I suppose my reality is just that a lot of people around the country will dismiss a voice from London because they're used to it being an elitist view, yeah. you know, and, I, and that's the thing, I, can, I understand that, it's not my, it's not where it's coming from for me, but I understand yeah, how absolutely. they feel. All people have had his voices from London, they want to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> people really, really now, more than ever, especially up north, are starting to revel in that sort of like, local reference, it's hard to explain, but like, somebody went viral from Wakefield, somebody went viral recently with a poem that was just Yorkshire dialect, and it's like, people are really starting to sort of, yeah, maybe the north-south divide culturally is people are sort of trying to regain, instead of trying to aspire to be London, people are trying to sort of regain the local pride and sort of rebel and find their own. Well, no, I talk to a lot of um, poets down here that have grown up or been heavily influenced by the grime scene. Yeah. And it wasn't until hip-hop artists or rappers in London stopped trying to sound American. Yeah. They tried to, tried to sound like they were from Bow or from Angel or wherever yeah, yeah, the scene yeah. was growing up that it really became something interesting and I think that it is important for people to be able to find their own voice but I suppose you have to go through that transitional period of yeah, you watching do. YouTube you know a big thing we were talking about just before you and you can't get away from her name about how influential Kate Tempest has been yeah and her voice and her style has become repeated and copied but, Massively, but yeah. I think it's just on the, as people find their own voice they need something to lean on oh first. yeah I can't deny but when I first started I sounded like a John Cooper Clark ripoff absolutely like you can't you, like you say, you, you sort of, you're discovering your own style by borrowing other people's styles until your own style's strong enough to come through, aren't you, I suppose? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I sounded like John Hegley for a long time. Yeah. Because well, that's that, not and, then, and then, yeah, and then it wasn't until after a few months I realised what that voice I was, yeah. I was doing. I couldn't work it out myself. We should talk about Nymphs and Fugs and how that project got started and, and the motivations behind it. 
my band, Skint and Demoralised, when we were dropped by Universal, we signed to an indie label called High Star Hit. And I still sort of talk to him quite regularly. And I went to see him like early last year because I was doing an Edinburgh show on my own, self-funded, paid fringe show. And I realised I sort of needed things to sell. And so we went in and said, look, would you be up for me releasing a spoken word album on your label? And after about an hour, maybe two hours of talking, we came out with the idea of having a spoken word record label as an imprint on their label. Um, and it, it, it was mad that I'd never really thought about it before because I've got far more industry, sorry, far more experience in the music industry than I have in the poetry industry in terms of like promoting stuff, albums, artwork, gigs, you know what I mean? And yeah, it just sort of happened organically, really. It wasn't like a, a gradual play. It just sort of happened almost by accident. But I couldn't really announce a label with just my album being on it. Um, <laughs> so I started approaching artists and Louise Fazakali was the first artist that I approached and uh, we released a double album for Louise. And for the first couple of months I was still finding my way because like, I'd been involved with a label but I'd never run a label entirely on my own. Then we released Tori Agarbutt's album earlier this year um, with aid from a crowdfunding campaign and that enabled us to take it up a notch. And then we released Selena Godden's album recently and that's really, really, really taken things up a notch. Just in terms of getting our name out there, in terms of the amount of money I'm spending, the, the professionalism, just the, 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 the nature of the projects we're doing, it's just, it's growing really, really nicely. And I'm absolutely loving it. It was a side project to start off with, it was, but now it's 50% of my time, as long with my own stuff, obviously. So mm. it's, but it's, that's not a bad thing, that's really good. But I sort of realised earlier this year that as well as releasing albums and merch or whatever, I wanted us to become one of the national voices just talking about the scene. So we've got a quarterly zine, which has reviews, interviews, gig guides, uh, a roundup of all the nights around the country, stuff like that. The Twitter feed, I think there's about eight or nine tweets every day, and we alternate between promoting our stuff and promoting just new stories from around the world. Also, I'm, I'm gonna get guest writers to do blogs, you know, anything that just shouts about what's going on in the spoken word world. It's, it's absolutely brilliant, I love it. I love having a vehicle to do it. If I did it as an individual, people would think I was sucking up to them or people would think that I was doing it just to boost my own stuff. But doing it through the label, because there's a few of us now doing the writing, I, I think it's a really nice way to be able to do it, really. I think what I quite like about your Twitter feed, especially is that, and it's something I was trying to do all along with the podcast, was that although my, vo you know, my voice is prominent because I interview most people, yeah. but on social media, I always avoid using my own name. It's it's not supposed to be my opinion. It's about sharing yeah. what's happening. And I think you, it seems to be the approach that you take with. Yeah. I think for a long time, I say a long time, at least a couple of months, I don't think I attached you with nymphs and thugs. Okay, that's good. Which was I think is a really positive thing. Yeah. Especially yeah. since um, I have a particular. Uh, issue with self-publishing which we won't go into because it's quite complicated it's not that I dismiss it completely because I think it's a really powerful tool but I think it's it can be manipulated yeah a bit it, too much and I can, you know I've, but I think you're I think it seems to be you're doing things in, in quite a nice way yeah I mean yeah I know what you mean about the whole um, self-publishing thing it is a it is an odd one and I it, I mean even I feel a bit odd about it like you want a label and you're assigned to it it's a bit but I mean I sort of, the, the only way I'd get around it is, well, I quite like the DIY approach and I was doing an Edinburgh show on my own. It made sense to have a CD to sell, therefore I put the CD, you know, it just, I, I do sort of quite like the DIY element. But that, in a way, I don't really promote my album as much as I should online because I don't really want it. <laughs> um, the more albums we've got on there over the next few years that makes mine like 10% of the catalogue instead of 25% of the catalogue, I'll be happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think one of the best things about this DIY approach is it's made a lot of publishers sit up and think, oh, 
chip we better raise our game a little bit yeah. if we're to stay relevant and in control um, you've got to be offering something more if people can just go out and publish their own book you know if that's what you want yeah. it's a book or a record by all means go and do it if yeah. that's what you want so I think at least it's encouraged the industry a bit to, yeah, to think a bit more about what they're doing absolutely I think it, having the control is, is having creative control is really really important um, and that's something that I've experienced in various extremes over the years through the music industry but then I don't know just I mean financially it can make more sense to do it on your own it'd be I don't, it, there's all kinds of reasons why you why you could do it I just I think a lot of poets love the idea of having a book or a CD but just wouldn't know where to start which sounds I mean I'm, the, and it, I think it's only because I've been in the music industry that I've got an idea of the mechanisms of it and because I work seven days a week and I'm a bit silly and my head moves too quickly I've just got time to sit down and make it happen yeah. do you know what I mean like it, I don't have a social life because I'm not really interested in it, whereas most people, quite rightly, have a social life. So I <laughs> sacrifice my social life to release things. Yeah. And that's, that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, I'm editing while people are having fun. That's yeah. what I do. Um, <laughs> do you think that poetry in general, we use it as quite a broad term here, is too fixated on the idea of uh, printing books? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, the, the whole point for me with setting up the label is... I got into spoken sorry, I got into poetry through listening to it. I got into poetry through listening to John Cooper Clark, through listening to Linton Quasi Johnson, through listening to Attila the Stockbroker, through listening to um, you know, that uh, Selena Goddard, that's how I got into it. So I just think I if 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 I'd come home from college that day and my dad had given me John Cooper Clark's book and said sit and read this, probably would have enjoyed it, but I don't think it would have changed my life. And I, I just think that it's a really, really important way of experiencing it and, and certain poets are more suited to the page. Certain poets are more suited to audio. I mean, Selena Godden, for example, I've just released her album. A lot of live recordings from festivals, you really, really get the essence of Selena. However, her Fishing in the Aftermath book is absolutely amazing. It's a wonderful book. It's fantastic. So that's not to say that they don't work on both formats. I just saw that there were a bit of a gap in the market, really. Uh, people often misunderstand that question if I mention it normally. I'm not dismissing books Oh, of course, all. yeah. So we were talking about our background, so you've moved in from music and my background is within, uh, is working as a technician for artists and putting together exhibitions. One of the big shocks coming over was that in terms of multimedia work, uh, it do basically doesn't really exist within poetry. There are a few, you can point to a few examples where people are really capitalising on sort of digital technology yeah. and different ways of displaying their work. That is such a tiny, I think that such a tiny fraction of what's going on and it does surprise me. There's, do you feel there's any reason for that? Or? I think it just, it just seems to be the obvious and natural route to take to publish a book. And I guess if you're an emerging poet and you find yourself on the bill supporting more established poets, they've got books. You see them with a book and think, well, I want a book. It just, and whenever I'm travelling around the country and gigging or whatever, the first thing people say to me is, so are you published then? That's just, that is the route, to, that's the obvious natural route to take. Um, yeah, it's a weird one, really. But I mean, to be a professional poet or spoken word artist now, you've got to be, you've got, you don't have to, but it really helps to have a social media presence. And if you're going to have a social media presence, it really helps to have videos. And like you say, it, yeah, it's weird. I think people are catching up. But if you look at Holly McNish, I mean, her videos have had millions of views. Sully, Sully Breaks, his, his videos have had millions of views. And so there are a couple of people that have been phenomenally successful partly through it. But I think for most people, yeah, it just seems to be that you just you publish a book. That's just I think what you it do. was um, Tom Chivers from Pend in the Margins tweeted the other day that he went to some sort of digital media conference and there was a quote that 
by 2022, 80% of all internet traffic will be video based. Yeah. And that's what I worry, that the whole thing again will just get left behind and ignored. I think people do need to take notice of those things because if you, if you, if you want people, I'm very interested in how we find an audience. And I think it's, if, if people are ignoring poetry, it's poetry's fault, it's not the yeah. audience's fault. I yeah, think. it just needs to find a new way to connect with people. You know, like if you're, uh, if you're talking to your, if you hear people talking about a band, They'll be like, oh, cool, I'll check them out on YouTube. They don't check them out on Spotify, they check them out on YouTube. Mm. All right, if you're at a house party, chances are you'll either be playing Spotify or YouTube, but more often than not, it's YouTube as opposed to Spotify. And it is that sort of, like, it is all just video videos. But, I mean, we're in the process of editing some videos I've done for Selena Godden. I've spent more on those two videos than I did publishing the actual CD itself. Partly because I think that's what you need to do, and partly just because it excites me, and I just think it's a beautiful way to interpret it. So this is a problem, see? Getting a properly professionally done video costs a couple of hundred quid. Most poets can't afford a couple of hundred quid. Updating your Twitter account constantly. I mean, I do it naturally just because I'm passionate about Twitter. I've been on Twitter since 2008. Most people struggle to update their Twitter account properly. It's, it's having the time, it's knowing where to start, it's having the money to do it. I mean, Luke Wright's 360 trailer for Johnny Bevan, amazing, but that, I don't know how much it costs, but that, most people would struggle to produce something like that. And so that's the difficulty, really. Having said that, if you look at Holly McNish, most of her videos are filmed on a webcam with a laptop, to be fair. So we've all got a smartphone on us, and a smartphone, most smartphones are capable of filming a HD video that would be perfectly good enough for YouTube. I cannot believe we've got these objects. I, I just can't, I can't, I can't believe. They're filming feature films with iPhones now. I know. I can't, I can't believe that people are walking around with that much technology in their pockets. It blows my mind. Actually, briefly, before we take the second reading, Maybe you could explain how and why politics um, is so important in your work. I started writing when I was 17, and at the time I was studying government and politics at sixth form. So I was finding a political voice sort of just before I started finding a poetic voice, if you know what I mean. Um, so, and you know what it's like when you're 16, 17, you think you know everything, don't you? And I just got into Bill Hicks and uh, I don't know, I've, I've been doing random gigs for probably only about two or three months I and mean, then I went down on a demo to London and on the way back I was chatting to a bloke who were organising a Love Music Hate Racism gig and I said oh can I come along and read my poetry and quite rightfully he went oh god <laughs> and they actually tried stopping me from doing it but I managed to like run on stage before I went at bands and I did this anti-racism poem and it went down an absolute storm and the stars just aligned in me and it were like obviously and then I just started writing about politics it just, it just happened organically because I was at that point in my life it just seems I don't know I, I'm struggling I mean, I've written that poem about Calais that I did earlier, and I am writing about politics, but I don't feel like I'm writing about it enough, especially in 2016. I feel personally that I've got a duty and a responsibility to do it because I am a political activist outside of my poetry. I just think that's one of the things that poetry should do. I mean, everyone's different. I'm not saying it's wrong if you don't. It, it, it's completely... Escapism is just as important, isn't it? I'm a political person. I'm not, pretend, I'm not putting politics in poetry because I think it might be cool. I just am a political person, so... You've got to write about what you're passionate about. Time's running on. I think yeah. we should uh, take another reading. Okay. You'll be excited to know it's got a Spy Skills reference. It's called Say You'll Be There. She'd prepared a pop-filled playlist so they could walk hand in glove, avoiding life's congestion through the back streets of nostalgia. Four years and a hundred miles, dual decades as distant strangers, but still they managed to reminisce in childhood shared and sacred pleasures. 
She remembers dancing to Don't Stop by S Club 7 in the playing fields at St Peter's with Zoe's bouncing ginger perm. He remembers rapping to re-rewind by Artful Dodger on the old abandoned railway track the final day of term. <coughs> it took two hours and 20 minutes, but it was perfect. When she finished with a twilight of the afternoon to spare, she contemplated filling in the label with a gel pen. It's his 29th birthday, which he's dreaded now for weeks. What better form of antidote than travelling back through time? She skipped a tea, too nervous to eat. He said he'd be here at seven. She knew it'd be closer to half past, but at 6.15 she settled. His decision now defining her defiance or delusion. She passed the time with cigarettes and neatly stacked the crap cassettes and watched the clock and made a drink and tried to sip it on the brink. Checked a text, checked again, downed a drink, checked again, tried to ring but it rang right through, tried again but it didn't ring once. Welcome to the O2 messaging service for 07525 364 927. She lingers by the mirror, leaves the voicemail sat recording. Mascara halted in its tracks at 25 past nine. Protected cheeks bereft of freckles, hair no longer drawn by Disney, but even with that wide-eyed wonder, where on God's earth is it? Twenty years of wisdom that should be there to guide her, merely arriving hindsight whilst wounds are getting wider. The bedroom waits with bated breath, her feet get cold so she rummages for socks. A car pulls up through naivety, gives nervous nausea but it's only babs from 13B in a taxi back from bingo, alone, well-versed, well-masked and well-past caring. And as she plays the final song for the fifth time in a row, she aches to tiptoe down the hall and crawl between her parents. Longs for worries such as, Mrs. Roberts set her homework and I haven't done it yet, and last time she made me stand up in the middle of assembly. How come my dad always picks me up from parties before we've had jelly and ice cream? And how come my school uniform is plain and maroon, whilst the other kids are poster red with a school's name embroidered? Sink beneath the duvet, make a castle from the pillows, as the Spice Girls sing a serenade that resonates quite brutally. A tentative request that echoes through a lifetime faithfully borrowed from now 36, side one, track one. Say you'll be there. Say you'll be there. Say you'll be there. Cheers, Matt. Thanks for having us. Next up is the poet and co-editor of the Grapevine Zine, Catherine Madden. We're chatting about how, as writers, we portray different identities in our writing, the influence that her job as a subtitler for TV has had on her writing and the motivations behind Grapevine. You can check out that new zine at www.thegrapevinezine.com. Here's Catherine. It, this is called 2000 versus 2010 Winter Mashup 2015 style. Number one. I am heading back to London, the waft of school dinner, my grandmother's birthday. I stomach turn, but for the wrong, in a perpetual state of me as there was, that can unexpectedly be nothing to do with the moment. I think about Frank towards me with a satisfied. I tend to question my own desire. I'd stayed in bed. Be attracted to him now when I have to search for something to make. I don't know if psychoanalyzing depressed as I am, I looked, generally leads me in the girls screaming and the can't have him but does. Here was Jean sitting on the wall. His intelligence delights me, looking gullible. Perfect person, gets sad if I don't when he, all right, Jeanette, Lydia, more than next to me, he raps. I try to ignore him, but my waist, he kisses and, oh, touchy today, are you? Head on my shoulder, 
My at me tediously, I just stared, embarrassed he'll hear it, splattered with mud, obviously on the kitchen counter, and his football boots were also me, wet and nervous, his blow in the wind, presently his snow, this is all very soppy, was looking at him, put, I've only just broken, he said, before leaving me alone. Friend, I no longer is because my mum and dad, any other human being, but it's my fault because I'm always the women. Will be the isn't, but I'm still worried I know best. He probably, I'm upset, so I don't see why I'd be able to look Albert in the not fair. So I bully them. Two, does he still like me in that I've had enough of Lydia? So day is the counter incident. Made lots of new friends. Duvet in the living room. A wonderful story, good use of. He held my hand under, brought the story to a more, rendering me unable to make friends. All under the pretense of, or perhaps not a pretense, perhaps friend's hand warm platonically, know that something might. Number two, I sat on the playground wall after a brief weekend in Birkenhead, hit my nose, making my seem at the moment to be reasons. I hugged my coat around, excitement, albeit one a chill in the air that had mixed with despair at any towards me with a satisfied a lot. It's all very interesting look on his face. I wished with harsh logic, why would I be? I slitted my eyes in order, known him for almost three years, miserable to make them as myself. Is it a good idea, it through the hordes of people, direction thinking that I, boys arguing over football, can't have him? The wall hugging himself, and I want to see him all the time, to bully. Lies next to me in the bed, jeered at me, his arm all around, couldn't help saying get lost, strokes my hand. He rests his genie, he squealed, smiling, heart beats so fast. I'm him. His school jumper was last time I saw him. I was sitting from running through puddles. He stood near me and it made me muddy. His light brown hair, eyes looked nice against the smirk, faded when he saw I was. But what can be done? Simply, what are you staring at, weirdo? Up with his housemate, his the reason why I bully care for Albert more than are getting divorced. I think it's not the done thing, is it? Always naughty. Mum said it most disapprovingly and they wouldn't see one of them again. Wouldn't do it anyway. Wouldn't other people be happy? That's I. Does he want to, though, make them miserable too? Way on Thursday, same one day I joined a club and we were both lying under two narrators. Could you have my house, of course? And definite end, maybe they could. The duvet? the house points, breathe normally, but this was keeping my hand warm, perhaps. He actually wanted to keep his warm, or perhaps we both be going on. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Hello, Catherine. Hello. Hi. Um, thank you very much for joining me slash us. The us is whoever else. Is yeah, <laughs> the mysterious. Um, yeah. John Hegley recently called me out on uh, who were, who was we when oh, I said yeah. thank you for joining yeah. us? It's very <laughs> like confusing. I, around, like I feel like a Premiership footballer caught watching the replay of my own, oh, and trying yeah. to describe in the present something that happened in the past. Oh yeah, or like <laughs> someone from like a reality TV show, like Geordie Shore or something. Not that I've seen I definitely that, but... am much more like someone in Geordie <laughs> <Yeah>. Shore. <laughs> or I would actually, I would say more like uh, the Housewives of Potomac or one of those other ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it just handily cuts away to them and yeah, they yeah. comment in on something that's yeah. happening in a really calm manner, yeah, they're losing yeah, their shit in yeah, the scene. Yeah. yeah, and then, yeah, it's kind of, 
it's quite a weird thing that yeah, they're speaking in present tense and it's like like they're narrating their own life. Yeah, it's we'll come on to that later with the yeah. subtitling work. Oh, actually, yeah. that's oh, a really yeah. um, that must be sort of in my head. Maybe you could just introduce yourself briefly, yeah. and then we can okay. Um, okay, so I'm Catherine Madden. I write poetry and fiction. I'm in the process of writing a novel, but uh, yeah, I'm sort of more focusing on poetry, I think, at the moment. Um, and I am a co-editor of The Great Brown Zine, which is a new literary zine that I'm doing with my friends. And um, yeah, I'm kind of interested in like identity and desire and uh, what else? Relationships mm. in, gen in general, yeah. So the, the, the piece you just read there, uh -huh. how did that come about? Um, so I made that by, I was kind of like looking through my old notebooks and then I was also looking for like a, a workbook that I had in, in when I was in year six. Okay. <laughs> so, and then there's like a, a story in there that I'd written, which is a, about somebody getting bullied and it was from two points of view. It's from the point of view of the oh, bully okay. and the point of view of the person who was getting bullied. Um, and like switched the perspective on it. And then I was looking for a notebook from like 2010 and there was like a description of me like fancying someone and, <laughs> and then, I sort of just thought it would be interesting if I just didn't really, I didn't alter the words at all, but just took the first line of each one and intersected it. Uh, so yeah, the first line of the story from when I was 10, I put that, and then the second line from the thing from when I was 20, I put that in underneath. So that the, that's the reason it's in two sections, because it's the alternate. And they were both happened to be in the winter, and then I did that last winter. And now I'm reading it now this winter. That's <laughs> nice. And I, I think. Does it have to be cold for you to write? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, chill, yeah. Chill, yeah, to, the chill, bones. chill yeah. to my soul. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess, kind of, well, part of the reason why I did that was sort of because I thought it would be fun, interesting. And also, then, I guess, then reflecting on it, I, I kind of, I guess. I don't know when you're thinking about your own identity and like your narratives in your life and how sometimes you you kind of create narratives that, that perhaps aren't there and it's like have I been the same person throughout my whole life or, or and, and has there been ongoing themes and so that was kind of interesting for me to think well how well, how, how was I the same when I was 10 and then I was 20 and then when I was and how does that relate to it being winter and how does that relate to my writing as well so that was kind of what that was about. It's interesting the way that you can play around with. So my sibling has recently mm -hmm. gone to sixth form, so they're sixteen oh, yeah. years old, mm -hmm. and um, it just made me think a lot about the, these changes in your life, about mm -hmm. having the opportunity to reinvent yourself. I'm not suggesting yeah. that that's what they're doing. Yeah. It's just you get the chance to become an adult suddenly, yeah. and you're, yeah. you're in a new situation. Mm -hmm. Am I reading too much into it, suggesting that there's maybe a link with the changing of each year and and this how this piece is? Um, Come formed, is it? No, no, that's definitely yeah. it. And like, yeah, because I sometimes feel like kind of, you know, that you present so many ideas of yourself. I don't know if you do that, but yeah, like, absolutely, it's just like, yeah. and then sometimes that freaks me out because I'm like, well, what's the real me? And, and I, I don't know, I guess it doesn't really matter. I feel like I have very different sides of my personality that I present to different people. I think I'd, I'd like to see more writers embrace 
that side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really um, beautiful thing to be able to do to reinvent yourself. I don't yeah, think it's yeah. deceptive or deceit- yeah, yeah. deceitful in any way. I think it's a really important thing to, unless you're writing pure sort of experimental, free running mm-hmm. stuff. You know, we're sort of looking at ourselves constantly, aren't we? Yeah, and, and yeah. You know, you'd be a liar if you were a poet and said you didn't care what anyone yeah, felt yeah, about yeah. how you came across. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing as well, because sometimes I'm like, oh, well, you know, people are going to think I'm acting not myself around them or something, where it's like, well, no, because myself is all of these things. So maybe that's kind of a little bit... How conscious were you with that piece of how you might come across and how it would read? Because sometimes, you know, if you, do, yeah. if you do go for, like, a true mashup, as it, yeah, uh, it yeah. states in the title, that where you're yeah. just combining two texts... Yeah. I've sometimes found it's quite hard to just truly do that without yeah. trying to write in your Make own narrative. Or yeah, something. yeah, well, I kind of, yeah, I was worried about that. I was like, well, maybe people aren't really going to be interested in reading this so, or like, yeah, listening to it. But so then I kind of just did it. So I don't know, I guess when I was reading it, I kind of, the way I intonate kind of put my own meaning on it. And that's another thing that I was kind of interested about when I wrote that is that, um, because I'm always thinking about like poetry, why why does it, why are people interested in it, why, why am I writing it, why do people want to read it, and like a lot of it comes down to that actually, you know, nothing, nothing really means anything and people put their own meaning on things and that, I kind of felt like I was exaggerating that there, so that these are like just, a lot of the, the words that run onto each other just don't, they're just random, kind of, well they're not, you know, mm. so the meaning isn't explicitly there and perhaps there isn't a meaning and then, so when then when I read it, I kind of put intonations on it. I was going to say, do, have you read it live many times? Um, um, I haven't, but I made like a little video of it and read it. But no, I haven't read it like out, kind of out of reading. There's a video so. of that on your blog, isn't there? Yeah, to that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, because I, because I, I've definitely heard it before. Yeah, so it must have been where yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, um, yeah. I maybe I shouldn't have read that one again. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no, no, it's, oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. it's nice to hear the differences between the two. Re- yeah. I think that's what's nice about those kinds of texts. Mm-hmm. They leave a lot of interpretation. Yeah, that they yeah. Live. Well, that's what I was thinking, and then that's and then so that's so then if somebody else was to read it written down, perhaps they'd have their own kind of interpretation. Yeah, of I suppose it feeds back it. into that whole idea of being able to get different interpretations from that kind of text. Yeah, as well, yeah. And you could be be a different thing every yeah, time you present yeah, it, can't it? Yeah. yeah, and then I think that's more generous as well to people because it's like, even though that's very explicitly about me, perhaps I'm going to be like, I'm not going to make it just about me. Like, these are your, like, because all, you know, words of everyone's and like, you know, whatever you your associations you have with these words, even though they were from my intimate journals and or not so intimate book that I had in year six, like, like they're, they're now for whoever wants to read them. Yeah. If you want to, then have to. You should be more narcissistic. Everyone should definitely read everything you write. You tell <laughs> them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read yeah. 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 this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could talk a bit about the zine. Oh yeah, yeah. So the yeah. grapevine zine. Yeah, and yeah. And how that came about and the purpose. Yeah. So that was me and my two friends, um, Jess Andrews and Jezebel Mansell, and then. Louise Evans, who I um, did my little book project thing with, she's like a designer and illustrator, and she's really good. And she so she's doing the design for the zine. And me and Jess and Jezebel like did a masters together, and we kind of like, but we were into the same kind of um, writing and like, and we also like when we were on our masters, we did like this little uni magazine as well, and kind of so we thought we had the experience of collecting submissions and sort of how that worked 
Um, and so we were like, let's just do our own one. So, is there any particular theme? No, it's kind of it's main, it's about literature, and then, and we kind of want to make it kind of really as accessible as possible. I don't know. We're trying to like collect submissions from people that perhaps wouldn't feel comfortable with submitting. I don't know, but I don't know. I feel like we need to like work on that more to try and like we don't just want it to be like posh white guys. <laughs> but mm. This month's uh, feature podcast hosted by the fantastic Harry Charles is about accessibility, okay, mainly, at, yeah. mainly at public events and how um, people putting on live events can make their, their, their stuff more accessible mm -hmm. or and what that term means mm -hmm. about to be yeah. accessible because yeah. often it's misunderstood or misused mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, because you've got a wheelchair ramp that you know, yeah. doesn't mean your event right, is yeah. accessible. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think the lessons from that were mainly around if you don't yourself know how to uh, advertise to a certain groups mm -hmm. of people, you need to approach them first and ask. Right, yeah, and and yeah. I think it's um, quite a valuable. Uh, having run a night myself mm -hmm. and obviously run these podcasts, mm -hmm. we, mm -hmm. I want people to listen. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just about maybe maybe an idea is you know having some at the beginning some sort of invitation process where you yeah. invite people because then it's very clear that your right, yeah. your zine. Mm -hmm. Is, is meant yeah, for yeah, these voices, yeah, and then it's yeah. clear you're not just blankly asking people to send in. Yeah, but you're asking yeah, for an enormous idea. amount of trust from people, aren't you? That's of the course. thing. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, as part and part of the accessibility mm -hmm. thing, that you've got, uh, you were saying that you're going to have uh, PDF versions. Yeah, to, uh, yeah, to, to download. To download so. Yeah, we're thinking that we might try and like do actual physical copies in the future, but we're kind of like just seeing how it goes, and like I guess. We don't really know exactly what we're doing, but we're just like giving it a go and seeing. Yeah. I think PDF versions are a, a really great idea, idea. Yeah, especially yeah. you know. It, again, I mean, it, I, I suppose nothing is truly accessible to mm -hmm. everyone. So yeah. you, you, I don't know if you can strive for that, but if you, there is an issue of people not having access to uh, digital devices and mm -hmm. stuff and not mm -hmm. being able to access PDFs. But I think in the main, P, mm -hmm. PDF versions are, are really good. They're really yeah. easy to. Carry around. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe we can take a second reading before we chat yeah. further. Thank yeah, you. definitely. So this one is called Michael Sarah is my celeb crush. Michael Sarah is my celeb crush du jour. I go to bed with him around my head, protecting me fuzzily from all evil, especially terrorism and then counter terrorism and then late capitalism in general. I dream of his unsure qualities and wake up calm and Thirsting. This is what happens when my non Michael Sarah friends aren't here. I Google Michael Sarah hot, Michael Sarah girlfriend, Michael Sarah asshole, Michael Sarah sex scenes which soak my algorithms in honey haired, inexperienced visions of Michael Sarah help. Thank you very much. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, Saturday Night Live? sketches about Zoe Deschanel but Michael Sarah's her best friend in the kitchen. No, I haven't so seen them. Oh, that's definitely So the sketches are called Being Quirky with Zoe Deschanel. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but Michael Sarah's in the background all the time, yeah. like getting her juice and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. the impressions are fantastic. I really like Michael Sarah. Yeah. And it's, it's quite a, it's not a horrible impression of them. It's just, it's yeah, just funny. Yeah, okay, but, yeah, yeah. I think it's more laughing at the roles they play. Yeah, okay, than, yeah, than, yeah. Than well, yeah. You should definitely check that out. Yeah, no, we'll do. I think I'd like to talk about your job at the moment, with oh, subtitling. Yeah. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that, this idea of being caught in between 
listening live to something, but then slightly reporting on it, slightly mm. with a slight delay. Actually, maybe my first question about yeah. that would be, has it in any way informed your writing since you've been doing it? I've been wondering about that. Like, ever since I started, I was like, I wonder if this is going to inform my writing. And I think maybe it's kind of helped with kind of making a sort of brevity to things because a lot of the time when you're doing it live, you have to... You, well, sometimes you, you have to edit it a little bit so that it's... You, you, as long as you're getting the same message across, but you cut out the airs and you cut out the... Um, because also people don't really speak in, uh, you probably will know from transcribing that people don't speak in written no, sentences, <laughs> no. Um, and I, don't, I definitely don't. Oh God, I don't either. Like people start sentences and then they'll stop and then change it. And in your brain, you edit that out when you're speaking to people, oh, uh, which is kind of what I knew anyway from like writing, but you, uh, like it helped with like knowing like what things are really important and the pack a punch kind of thing which is kind of what i want to do with poetry anyway so recently i've kind of when i've been writing poetry i've kind of been trying to just cut out all the stuff that i don't need even more so than usual so then so, so it's just like emotive words like listed on a page instead mm. so i think that maybe yeah the subtitling has kind of helped with that or like just exercised my skill at doing that yeah, I mean, definitely from the transcriptions that I've done so yeah, far. Yeah. Whilst there's nowhere near as much pressure as like trying to transcribe things live, yeah, yeah. it does make you very aware yeah. of speech patterns and yeah. how it's very odd. Sometimes if you look at a passage of text, yeah. it doesn't make any sense yeah. at all. And you really, you can't, you would never be able to paste it out of context yeah, because no, yeah. it just doesn't make mm -hmm, any sense. Mm -hmm, yeah. And the amount of jumping around we do yeah. between half sentences and mm -hmm. continue starting mm -hmm. a story and finishing yeah. a story yeah. um, and it's quite it's a very interesting process to go through yeah uh, almost i don't know i'm sort of considering whether it's a worthwhile just as an exercise to try to and transcribe, transcribe your own speech yeah and just see just look at the patterns and not yeah yeah for just any outcome necessarily yeah. but it's quite just an interesting own, way yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, and it's interesting how then, as when we think about written language, how we put these this grammar and this these rules on top of speech that just doesn't work, and 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 that's why it's I guess it's quite difficult to write dialogue and things in in fiction because or it's quite difficult to actually get realistic dialogue and things going because it doesn't it's like almost like a translation type thing between speak between what actual speech is like and what how we write. Definitely, I think yeah. that's where. It, it does annoy me quite a lot in novels. Yeah. If, there is, if there's any lengthy amount of um, dialogue yeah, in there, because yeah. if it's written too correctly, yeah, it, just no, it just doesn't read. It doesn't no. read as a natural conversation, does yeah, it? Or, no. or even as a monologue, it doesn't yeah, read yeah. that well. Definitely. Um, and also, like from subtitle, I know people don't actually pause where they're supposed to, where there's commas. Like people pause in the middle of sentences, which is kind of annoying because then I always like put in a comma, and it's like no, that wasn't supposed to be a yeah. comma. Yeah. My, um, I find what's the free, is it free full stops is that an ellipse? Yeah, an ellipse. Yeah, yeah, ellipse yeah, yeah, is yeah. My best friend oh, in yeah, transcribing yeah. because yeah, I, yeah. If, because people otherwise it, people absolutely yeah. people trail off in the middle of a sentence. Yeah, what yeah. else do you do? With yeah, that? you can't I just know. start. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or otherwise you end up with square brackets everywhere oh, and God, then sort yeah. of ex trying to explain that yeah. something was inaudible yeah. or yeah. they just stopped or. Mm -hmm. yeah. How actually? How do you get? Do you have to describe emotions at all? I've found it quite difficult to sometimes if you write down what's been said if you can't uh, hear laughter oh, quite yeah. often it can be really yeah. inappropriate 
the sound yeah, really out, yeah, out yeah, of yeah. Or sometimes you even just get that with text messages. Yes, can't yeah. you? you text someone? I'm terrified of texting. Yeah. <laughs> like my friend was always like, like when you're texting people, if you're texting like someone that you fancy, you have to put ha ha all the time. Otherwise, they won't know. That's why we've got emojis. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. To get like, around yeah. that. Um, but yeah, in subtitling, you put laughter. Or yeah. or people can often see. You know, if you can't hear, you can see people yeah. are laughing and. So I guess... Yeah, at least you've got the visuals yeah, with your, yeah, yeah. your site there. Mm -hmm. definitely helps. Yeah. So you've recently moved back from Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. And how long were you there for? I was just there for a year. Yeah. Were you involved with reading a lot up there or...? Um, I did a couple of readings. Mainly, there's a guy I knew up there called Hugh, who his like stage name is Dangle Manatee. Um, I think I told you about him when I was... When you need, like... Oh, possibly, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. thinking about... Yeah, plan I'm yeah. Still, still am planning to go to Glasgow yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he used to put on like some poetry events, and then I had a friend, Rory, who lived there as well. He put on some poetry events, so I did a couple of readings there. Mm. But I wasn't because I was only there for a year, so I wasn't really like, didn't really make that many connections yeah. apart from that. But Do you yeah. know of there's a little spoken word podcast up there called Lies, Comma Dreaming? It's based oh, no. in Edinburgh, so I mean, okay. there's no reason that you would know them because mm -hmm. obviously mm -hmm. I don't want to get shouted at for lumping Glasgow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glasgow and Edinburgh in together, but <laughs> okay, I don't, they, yeah. they gig a lot in Glasgow mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's quite a nice little, it's an audio zine, it's set up as oh, that, so yes. you can submit oh. audio recordings of your oh, work. Yeah. Um, I ma oh, mainly mention it because I'd like yeah. just to give them a shout out on the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, programme yeah, as well, but yeah. they're definitely worth yeah. checking out if you want to know what's going on. Yeah, on that's kind of, that's really interesting to submit something like an audio thing. That's it works cool. really well, yeah, because and they lay yeah. like a sort of instrumental backing tra yeah. uh, track under yeah, it, because yeah. quite often what lets audio recordings down is that they sound fine when you're reading in yeah, the room, yeah, but when they're yeah. completely isolated, yeah. you've either got the hiss mm -hmm. of your own microphone, which maybe yeah. hasn't been edited out properly, mm -hmm. or you've just got this strange isolation of the right, piece, which yeah. maybe doesn't suit yeah. the piece. But mm -hmm. because there's a consistent backing track, track yeah. for it, it sort of it unifies all the mm -hmm. pieces as well. Yeah. Which if they're quite different, disparate yeah. um, pieces, then at least there's yeah, one there's unifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they'll well, have like good. themes like one one month it will be Iceland. Uh, yeah, I think actually I might have sort of heard of them, but not checked them out. What are they called? Lie Lies, comma, dreaming. Lie, okay. um, but I think they might have had another one called, I think they've got another podcast called Poetry is Fuck. Poetry is Fuck, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, cool. I can't remember really their names. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Rory, but that's just one of them because they're Scottish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rory's an Irish name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's quite a lot in Glasgow, I think, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of Scottish rugby players called Rory. Oh, I don't right. know them personally, okay. I know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think mean, that's where it's come from. <laughs> okay, before we take a final reading, mm -hmm. have you got anything coming up that you'd like to talk about? Well, yeah, at the end of January, I'm actually going to go to Madrid and do a reading there. Um, and I'm going to like make a little booklet. With, so it's a, a bookshop there, and somebody I know who's just, he's called um, Rob Greer, and he's just moved there. And he's kind of like puts on readings there, and he invited me, so I'm going to go and read there and like make a little booklet of like nine or ten poems. That's so that's really interesting. It's always that's fun really to read in other countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've is it part of a, is there like a festival happening or? Is no, I think it's just it? this bookshop is kind of a um, a bit of a destination sort of thing, and that's kind of what Very they nice. do there. Yeah, I think he lives in the bookshop. Yeah, it's kind of like the dream. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be an international poet as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even if it is just for your friends. Yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, 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 yeah. International poet of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Not very mysterious. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you, thanks, David.
as we said at the beginning, and I would have said in the introduction, mm -hmm. uh, people can check you out online. Mm -hmm. uh, just see the description for the audio, and we'll finish with a poem. Yeah. Okay, so this one is called um, Bambi Realises That His Mum Has Died. It's not so much the shot that does it, but when you turn around and see that, you might have been running alone for a long time. And when my mother fast forwards over death, she emits this stag that comes down from the mountain to declare that all mothers are transitory and just this once to call me son. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you. Um, hopefully you speak to you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>